Uh, just before I got up here, um, I was listening to Don's and Kimberly's testimonies. I was like, man, that is powerful. What am I going to add to that? And then Todd taps me on the shoulder. He's sitting right behind me and says, good luck following that. So, <laughs> thanks for the confidence boost, boss. I am Jeff Oldham. I'm the executive pastor here. I really don't know what that job means, but pretty much I just take care of all the things here and um, get to love on people. It's the best job I've ever had. So thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, appreciate you guys worshiping with us. And so we're just going to jump into God's Word here and see um, where He takes us. Uh, if you've been with us the last three weeks, you've had the treat of learning about what makes Melanie Park tick. Uh, we've been going through our four core values. These values are our guideposts. Our values help us stay on course. They help us avoid things that could distract us from our mission and our vision. Uh, they help us evaluate how we're doing as a church. They're our framework for decision-making. But most importantly, they're based on the thoughts, ideas, and actions that Jesus values. Doug McAlpine started us off with loving outreach as he helped us um, see that everyone has a story, and these stories are powerful. These are testimonies of God's presence and work, and we're to share our stories with the world. Uh, lost my place? And then Matt Wade gave us a glimpse of what genuine worship is. He helped us see that worship is responding to who God is in our lives, not just a song sung on Sunday morning. And then last week, Brian gave us a picture of what authentic community looks like, where Jesus helps us create a culture of vulnerability, as you noticed in our testimonies, where we can show mercy, extend grace, and build up one another in love. So thank you, gentlemen, for such wisdom, patience, and grace. Well, today we're going to look at our last of the four, four values, biblical truth. This is the one value that informs everything that we think, say, and do. The truth of Scripture is even the catalyst for our three other values. Authentic community, genuine worship, and loving outreach are rooted in biblical truths and principles. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at how Melanie Park defines biblical truth. God's Word is the lens through which we form our worldview. We rely on the Holy Spirit to apply His Word genuine worship, transforming our lives to become more like Jesus, loving outreach, where he serves, we serve. We seek to disciple, encourage, and admonish one another with biblical truth, authentic community. God's word doesn't just shape our church values, though. We believe that God's word is a lens to view all of the world around us. We believe the Bible is the lens of truth, and it gives us the most comprehensive view of what's going on in the world and how to best navigate life. For example, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, we don't see God's Word as just a bunch of rules or just writings. We see it as God-breathed, not man-breathed, God-breathed, and it's comprehensive. It affects every part of our lives. So when we lean in to know him, to follow him, and have a hunger and thirst for his word, let's pray. 
God, I'm nervous. <laughs> Just admit it. Um, maybe I have the same propensity for man's approval as we heard for the, through our testimonies. But God, they didn't, no one showed up here to hear me speak. They, they show up to hear you speak, Lord. Loudly and clearly and lovingly. So Lord, speak. God, calm our hearts as we uh, come before you today. Uh, take the worries and concerns of life. And Father, um, put your love and grace over those. So Father, speak loudly. Change our hearts to be more like your son, Jesus. Father, we pray this in the beautiful, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So as we dig into our fourth value this morning, biblical truth, I think there are a couple of barriers that we need to work through, though. Every week, our people that walk into us, that join us on Sunday mornings, that are working through this whole Christian thing, trying to figure out, is it real? Can it be trusted? Or who is this Jesus? Or someone may even say, you guys say the Bible is God's word, but is it really? You may be attending Melanie Park for a long time and actually have the same reservations. So before we can see the full beauty of God's character reflected in the truths of the Bible, we'll need to quickly address a couple of issues. First, I think that in our current postmodern culture, the word truth may not hold the same weight as it is in the past. One person, uh, what one person believes to be true doesn't necessarily mean that another person will believe that to be true. Our current culture clings to this eye that truth is relative. You've, you've heard statements like, that's my truth. Or I'll follow my truth, you follow yours. Or, real common, you do you. We've all heard these statements. And it sounds pretty inclusive. I think this statement really is innocently made because people don't want to step on each other's toes or judge somebody else's beliefs. But as soon as a post goes up on social media that's counter to my truth, the fireworks start. These are called truth claims, and they're based on the idea that each person's truth is contingent on their own beliefs. It's only true if I claim it to be true. The problem's obvious, though. There are objective, absolute truths all around us. There are standards for what is actually true. Let's take gravity, for instance. <laughs> if I drop something, what's it going to do? Any, any guesses? <laughs> it's obviously, it's going to do exactly what we're, it's supposed to do because gravity is an absolute. If I ran and jumped off this stage, what's going to happen? Sorry, A.B. <laughs> That's going to be a, a catastrophe, right? I mean, it'd be really cool if I was like, well, I don't really believe in gravity, and that's my truth, so here we go. And I just jump off, and I just start hovering above you guys. You go, oh, that would, you would start to question all that you believe to be true. The truth is, if I jump off here, A.B. and I are not going to be friends anymore. That's the truth. I am not free from the constraints of gravity even if I believe that I am. Therefore, truth is not relative. It's based on absolutes, standards that are constant, consistent, reliable, and don't waver. Does that sound like somebody we know? If 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3.6. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. To me, these verses are, feel steady and sure and trustworthy and somehow peaceful. Well, a statement that that's my truth is really just a way of avoiding something that doesn't fit my personal narrative or my paradigm. Just because someone makes the statement, I don't believe that there is a God, doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. When Jesus made the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it as an absolute. I think that most people can see through this thin veil of relative truth pretty easily if you give them enough or just a little thought. But it exposes the next problem pretty quickly that some may not claim a biblical truth claim. It may be said that I can see that you guys, uh, that there are absolute truths, but, um, oh my gosh, I lost my place again, I'm sorry. But which ones can be trusted? Because which other truths I trust will, the, uh, will be the lens that I view the world through. That is why we call it a worldview. This is, the, uh, this is, I think, a really important uh, uh, issue because these worldviews affect how every other human, how every human sees the world and interacts with others around them, including us. Let me show you a couple of examples how different lenses make a huge difference in what we perceive to be accurate. I'm going to show you a picture, and this is uh, from the, that's actually from the, uh, is that from the... From the, it's a like a bunch of stars, but from a telescope lens, it's a totally different view. It's colorful. It's got shapes. You can start to see details. So if you look at from a naked eye, one thing, and then you look at it from a this is the nebulae's Orion. If you look at it from a telescope's point of view, it's going to total different to, totally point of view. What about just like a normal object? Let's how about some hand soap, just the foamy little soap. Let's look at under a microscope. That's amazingly different, isn't it? All based on the way we view it. So please understand, the lens we choose to view the world around us shapes everything about us. How we think, what captures our attention, how we act. Now, there are many different worldviews that people choose as lenses to, to view the world around them. And there are a lot of isms. Humanism, naturalism, postmodernism, and there's a bunch of theisms, actually. There's polytheism, there's lots of gods, pantheism, everything is God, or monotheism, which is what we adhere to as Christians. There is one God. So you can look at the world around you through lots of different isms. But I think I can probably narrow these down to three different categories, just for our talk this morning. So let's look at an ancient lens that philosophers have been using for lots of uh, lots of lots of years, many many years. The autonomous lens, the heteronymous lens, or the theonomous lens. Now this is, sounds pretty uh, like big teaching, but it's really not. They're they're pretty simple concepts. Autonomy means self. These are my choices, my perceptions. I get to decide what's morally right or wrong. Heteronomy means outside of self. That sounds better, but listen to what sculpts our view. It's culture or society 
or group or government or science. Theory, God's character, his moral law, all wrapped up in his inspired word. Now, we have the self lens, we have the cultural or communal lens, or we have the God lens, which we call a biblical worldview. Please understand, we all tend to maneuver through all of these lenses at times. But the more we grow in our faith, we begin putting away our man-made worldviews, and then our biblical truth lens becomes the dominant viewpoint for all that we think, say, and do. That's what Christians do. It says, in the book of Colossians says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth. So let's take a common concept. This will be kind of fun. Take a common concept or an idea, and we'll run it through each of these lenses and see how different they can be interpreted and acted upon depending on how you look at this. Let's take the concept of love. Through an autonomous lens, we view love however the individual sees fit. This normally means that love is all about meeting my needs. Does that make sense? I love someone as long as everything's good. But once I don't feel it, then I fall out of love. Through this worldview, the standard for love is whatever I say it is, or ever I feel it is. So let's view it from a heteronymous lens. This means that society or culture gets to dictate what love is. Media, culture, science, love's just a chemical thing. Even our government could have a voice in determining what love is. The communal approach or lens may sound reasonable or more reasonable than the self-centered viewpoint, but there's still man-made constructs that we view life through. Now let's look at a theonomous lens, a biblical worldview of what love is. Remember, we view the Bible as God's inspired, breathed-out word. It's not constructed by me or culture or science. So this is how God views love. Let's turn to a very famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start in verse 5. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Or does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things because it's true, and hopes in all things because it's true, and endures all things because it's true. How would our world look if we treated our neighbors or even our enemies the way Jesus would ask us to do in this way? It'd look a lot different, wouldn't it? God's standard for love can truly reshape culture, not the other way around. Now, we've looked at three different lenses or worldviews, self, culture, and biblical truth. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to admit that where we choose to view the world through man-made, self-indulgent, ever-changing lenses of self or culture, that things like anxiety, depression, divorce, addiction, Identity confusion are all on the rise because statistically, we're seeing these issues hit record numbers because if I get to decide what is morally 
right or wrong, or society gets to sculpt our moral responses, then we're really on shaky ground. Because there is a very little that is solid or consistent to stand upon when it's me determining. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The whole idea that I should follow my heart is a really bad idea. I know what goes on in my head. The whole, uh, this is the happening in our churches as well, though. These cultural worldviews are starting to bleed into the truths we strong, so strongly hold, which can blur reality. But true, and listen to this, true historical, empirical, biblical worldview places us on clear, steady, reliable ground, no matter what the issue is. What else in our world can do that? Honestly, we believe the Bible to be a comprehensive, unifying story of God's creation, man's rebellion, God's plan for redemption, and the ultimate restoration of mankind and creation. All of this for his glory. It's a beautiful story that has action, drama, conflict. It's got a villain and a hero. And guess what? We're not the hero and never will be. God's word through the guidance of the Holy Spirit helps us in, 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 the day, in the day to day. It guides us on how to deal with the worries of life. It reveals the condition of my heart. It brings hope and reveals God's amazing character. Here are a couple of examples I think that most of us deal with daily or at least weekly or within a year for sure. What if I'm anxious about something? What would God's word say about that? Or what if I don't know which direction in life to take? Would God's word speak to that? Of course it would. And actually, it came out in one of our testimonies this morning. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, 5 through 7, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, relative truth. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. If I'm anxious about something, I'm a night warrior. I wake up thinking about things and I could be crushed by it. But when I read this passage, it says, trust him. Things start to dissipate. I'm on steady ground again. I'm not wavering like culture does. This is a classic anchor, anchor passage that can that help us view so many situations because it takes my eyes off of me and puts them back on the source that all that is good. My anxieties start to go away. I'm reminded he is sovereign. He has a plan for my good, and it's for his glory, not mine. What if I'm angry at someone, though? It's pretty easy to get angry at people in this world. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as, you, uh, as the Lord forgave you. Unforgiveness and anger are traps, guys, that only hold us as a prisoner. Jesus extended us grace by giving his life. And he's teaching us that there is freedom in the act of forgiveness. Letting go of hate and anger that I have towards someone and going through the process of forgiveness can be one of the most freeing acts. You heard that from Don this morning. 
She finds freedom in the forgiveness, not in holding people accountable. Now, I hope that I've helped you see that the reasons why we put the highest emphasis on the value of biblical truth and that his word is the ultimate authority and the most reliable lens to view the world around us. But I understand that not everyone here is fully convinced that God's word or our value of biblical truth is perfectly trustworthy. Some of you have been hurt by the church, just like you heard. The truths of the Bible push on our sensibilities. God's lenses expose our faults and frailties. And I also know there's real pain sitting in this room. And it's hard to see everything clearly when you're in pain. But what's behind the pain? Is it the circumstances of life? Or divisive spirit of our culture? I know there are marriages that are really struggling here. What about the loss of a loved one like you heard from Kimberly? Or fear of failure? Or betrayal? Or hurt? What about an addiction? Whatever it is, there's real pain right here, right now. I've been there. And honestly, there are still days where the weight of life threatens to crush me. Then I'm reminded, almost 20 years ago, a miracle happened. A biblical truth came to life. A new lens was revealed. And what I saw through that lens was a good and loving king named Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, our Bibles are alive and active. They cut through bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's not just a bunch of words. It's not just a bunch of stories. It cuts through our hearts. I started to see him and experience him through godly men in my life that had committed to walk with me through trusted Bible study that revealed him on every single page. Through my wife, Amy. Through my very first dose of gospel-centered preaching. And through all the avenues, his gentle, beautiful, steady voice constantly whispered, I've got you. You're mine. Follow me. Seriously, I couldn't believe it. My hard heart that was covered in pain and disappointment. Listen, guys, 20 years ago, my marriage was in shambles. I was on the verge of a high, uh, losing a high-profile job, highly addicted to pornography, Angry and stubborn. Does that describe anybody in here? All of this hidden from the world around me. I was a good Christian man. I didn't even know Jesus. My heart started to break, though. Jesus was gently revealing the weight of my sin, the pain of my past, the pride of my intellect, the stubbornness of the I got this attitude. Through this new lens, I started to realize that I have a problem, and I'm the problem. I read Romans 3.11, and I read it with my friends for the first time, and it says this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Not on this side of the cross. 
And I remember saying, that's me. I'm the antagonist in the story, not the hero. I thought that everything that was going on around me was due to my circumstances, a cultural or self-worldview. It was Amy's fault. It's my parents' fault. Society's fault. My job. It's the way I was wired, etc., etc., etc. Then Jesus whispered to me, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And laying in the bottom of my shower, I said, yes. Then he showed me through his lens that he had taken my guilt and my shame and the punishment for my sin, my rebellion. And he took it on the cross 2,000 years ago. I don't have the right to be right. He's righteous. I didn't have to be perfect anymore because he's perfect. I didn't have to strive or perform or hide or deceive because he's a better path, a better lens. We may be able to intellectually get around the Bible. We may even convince ourselves that this sounds like a bunch of hogwash because We've been looking through the world through man-made lenses. What we can't get around is miraculously changed lives. You are sitting in the room full of people that thought, acted, and believed, and viewed the world through a lens of self for so long, and then he rescued us. You heard two powerful testimonies about that this morning. We are the redeemed. You see, Jesus radically changed my DNA. I stopped looking through the microscope of my truth and put away the telescope of cultural viewpoints. And Jesus breathed life into my dead body. Now, Jesus has been revealing his good and trusted way ever since. So, is there anyone in here that's ready to look through another lens? Start a relationship with the one who has overcome the world because he can come overcome anything that you put at his feet. Say yes to him today. Or maybe your Jesus lens just needs to be refocused. Or you haven't looked through it in a long time. Get out God's alive and active word and jump in with a trusted group of Jesus followers. Regen is a great place to do that. If you're struggling today, I would highly recommend going to that August meeting. Or maybe you're just exhausted because you've tried looking at through lots of life through lots of different lenses, and none of them seem focused at all. Or they haven't had any lasting impact. Return to Him. You see, the Bible just isn't another book. It's like a lens on a camera that enables us to focus in with proper clarity and zoom in with greater closeness on the beauty of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for speaking. God, your word is alive and active. It, it lives among us right now. It takes on the body and thoughts acts of Jesus 
Your word became flesh. May we all see that. And as we walk with Jesus, as we talk with Jesus, as we listen and submit to him, may our lives be changed forever. God, I know there's lots of pain and struggle even inside this room right now. Speak to it, Lord. Cut through the bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Father, you are powerful and good, loving and gracious, kind and forgiving, merciful in all things. So speak to us, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning, an opportunity to worship you and praise you and see you. Father, we pray this in the mighty and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. I know that there could be some of you guys out there that still are struggling with this idea. Is the Bible true? So I think there's some resources. I hope I have those up there if they're not. Uh, there's a book called jo uh, God Breathed by Josh McDowell or anything by, there we go, Dr. Michael Kruger or even uh, Elisa Childers. Look those things up. If you're struggling with that or you have somebody that you know that is just struggling with this idea, can that be trusted? These are really great resources. Um, if you are struggling through something in life, something painful, just life seems to really be collapsing around you, I will say that one more time. Regen is a really great, great place to, to find some help there. Um, going back to God's truth, small groups are another place to do that or grab one of the pastors or elders and sit down with them. We know life is hard, guys. We know it. I've been there. And like I said, I'm there some days with you. Um, but Jesus offers a real hope, not just something that placates us like the world, not shifting like the sands, something solid and true and steady. So follow him hard. You'll never, ever be disappointed by it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for this time with my family. We want to follow you, not just individuals, but Lord, as your church, to run after you, to seek you, to change the culture around us because of who you are, not because of who we are. So Lord, help us do that in the mighty and beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You guys have a great day.